My name is Kyle Gatlin. I am the pastor here, and I have a question to ask you. What makes you feel good? Wait a second. Y'all might not answer. Don't answer that out loud. Please do not answer that out loud. All right. Let me rephrase that. What, what gives you, what's something you do that gives you pride, or what, what gives you a sense of accomplishment? How about that? We rephrase that a little bit that way. And I can tell you, early on in my life, when I was younger, so much younger than today, it was about what I did. It was about either the sports that I played or the things that I was involved in or getting that paycheck. You know, when I, when I was my, got my first job and, and, well, first couple jobs, I guess, when you get that check on Friday or Saturday, whenever we got them, you go, wow. I've done something, right? It gives you a sense of accomplishment. And then, then when I was, was playing sports or was involved in, in the, the band or something like that, and when I could uh, do something really good in those areas, it gave me a sense of pride that I, that I could contribute to the team or contribute to the band, and, and that made me feel good, right? That, that all made me feel good. And even, even in high school, even in high school, there, there was a sense of accomplishment and pride about getting the good grades. I, I had that. But when I say getting good grades, it meant I knew most of the answers. I never strove to get, is strove a word? Strove a word? Anyway, I'm not sure if strove is a word. I never was striving for getting all the answers correct because I knew I knew it didn't take very long to figure out that there was Daryl Prater, there was Russell Prine, there was Ben Sellers, there was Diantha Davis, and there was Waverly Williams, all smarter than me, and I knew that, and I gladly accepted that. My sister, who was four years older than me, she was valedictorian of that same high school. No way. (laughs) No way. I was not going to try to shoot for that. That was not going to be in my wheelhouse. And so me and a couple other people were fine going, okay, we can, we can pass these classes and we can feel good about making A's, but we're not going to worry about A pluses or A plus plus and stuff like that. So I felt good about those things. Then when I go to college and truthfully, even grad school, the, the idea of trying to be the top in my class, very foreign really very foreign. It was all about making the grades. I just need to pass. I don't need to make the A's and the hundreds and 105 or 110. If you get a C, you get a degree, right? So I was fine. I was fine with that. And my transcripts will tell you he was fine with that. In fact, I was actually looking a number of years ago, I was looking at a a one-year doctoral program back in Kentucky, and I went, nope, I don't even qualify for that. My GPA in in grad school was not good enough to get me there, so I went, that was a fleeting thought. And and I was fine with that, because I I, I seriously, undergrad and grad school, it was all about what I need to do to, to pass the class. Because there was a whole lot of other things more important, right? 
There's a whole lot more things important. There's, there's softball. There's parties. There's events to do. All this other stuff. Then when I get to grad school, I was actually working all the way through grad school in a church. And so that was a whole lot more important to me. Again, sense of accomplishment through that paycheck and all that stuff. But something changed. Something changed in my mid-20s. It was no longer about what I was doing, how well I was doing in, in a job or how well I was doing uh, playing softball or doing playing baseball or anything like that. Something changed. And it was no longer about me. I became a husband. And three years after we were married, I became a father. Three years later than that, I became a father again. And, and so the, the, the idea of of having to feel good or have a sense of pride and accomplishment about what I was doing, that was now foreign because it was about my family. And on this Father's Day, I think of my own dad. I only knew 19 and a half years. And as, as I racked my brain to think about his life, what... What was he doing that would make him feel good to have a sense of pride or a sense of accomplishment in his life? And I was thinking as I, the, the times that I spent with him, right? Just my 19 and a half years. I can't speak for my brother who's 11 years, 11, 11 years older than me or my sister's four years older than me. I can't speak for what they experienced. But by the time I came along, everything that I saw my dad do was about somebody else. That he, he brought he got pride and, and a sense of accomplishment and felt good about himself for when he saw something that was happening in his family, either his wife or his kids. And that's what's changed in my life. And 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 I and I I, I know that's where I got it from. I know that I, I got that from my dad and truthfully my mom too. It was never about what they wanted. It was about someone else and it's usually their family. And that leads me to, to talk about something today uh, about what uh, as it pertains to the church, right? Because I, I want to talk to you about your, your relationship with Jesus and your relationship to the church. And sometimes we... We separate those, but we can't separate them. They, they sort of go hand in hand. And, and what I want to talk to you about today as it relates to, to Jesus is that when, when you have a relationship with Jesus, it, it goes beyond just that personal thing between you and Jesus. I want you to understand that. There, there's something that goes beyond our personal relationship with Jesus. Because the very nature of having a relationship with Jesus means we share Jesus with others. And that's, that's the part that we want to hone in on today. When Jesus, when Jesus called his 12 disciples, he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men that became the foundation of the church. We are the church. 
We are the church. I want to remind you, uh, may not have been with us for the last couple of weeks, but that's fine. Let me bring you up to speed. Here, we are the church. Well, the, ch- the church is made up of followers of Jesus Christ. The church is made up of followers of Jesus Christ. The church is, is a gathering of people. That, that gathering is actually inclusive and exclusive. It is, a, it is a peculiar people with a peculiar purpose. And the church is not a landing place. It is a launching pad. Okay, that's the church. That's the church. Jesus didn't say, follow me. So that the disciples at the end of their three years together would go, wow. That was an amazing three years. We saw a lot of stuff. It's been an amazing run. wonder how the fish are biting today. That's, that's not why Jesus called his disciples. He called his disciples because he called them to be a launching pad, right? And Jesus didn't start this idea. I want you to understand this. Jesus got this from his father. This idea of a launching pad came from his father. Because in God, we see a God who reaches out. We see a God who reaches out. God created everything. God created you and me. And when God created us, when, he, when his creation came into existence, the creation rebelled. The creation decided that it wanted to do what it wanted to do. It, wanted, it, didn't want, it didn't want to follow God's way. It wanted to follow its own way and do its own thing. And so when creation did that, when his creation did that, here's what God did. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, God called, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? When Adam and Eve chose to disobey, when Adam and Eve chose to look out after themselves and themselves alone, what was good for them, what, was, what brought them pride, God did not wait for them to come begging him. He wasn't, it wasn't like he was, okay, Adam and Eve's going to come back and say, man, God, we, we just really messed up today. Can you forgive us? No, God did not wait for them. God reached out to them. He went looking for them. From the very beginning, literally the very beginning, this is God's nature. It's not come and see It's, I'm going to go to you, and then you'll see. I'm going to come to you, and then you will see. We fast forward many, many, many years down the road. A guy named Elijah. Elijah's a prophet. In in the Old Testament, it's Moses and Elijah. Those are 1A, 1 and 1A. Right? Everybody just puts puts those guys, guys right up there on Mount Rushmore. So we have Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, a prophet of a God who's basically on an island by himself. And the king of Israel this time is a guy named Ahab. Not the Arab, he's Israel. Okay? King Ahab is a follower of Baal, which, by the way, is a made up God. 
but he has 450 prophets that follow this made-up God named Baal. And Elijah comes up with a contest. And he challenges Baal's prophets to this contest. Let's go up to Mount Carmel, and here's the contest. You're going to build an altar to your God. I'm going to build an altar to my God. And then we're, going to, we're not going to take any matches, right? We're not going to have any lighter fluid or anything. We're going to ask God to supply the fire for our altar. And so the 450 prophets of Baal build their thingy, and, and Elijah says, okay, you're, you go first. I'll let you go first. And they cry out to Baal, and Baal does not rain down fire. Elijah makes fun of them a little bit. Say, hey, your God must be deaf. Won't you go a little bit louder? Nothing happens. So when they gave, finally gave up, Elijah said, oh, I want you to pour a bunch of water on my altar. After they pour water three times, Elijah prays out to God. Fire comes down, burns up the altar, burns up all the water, and a few people may have got singed at the time. Well, King Ahab was not real happy that this happened. Plus the fact that he just lost 450 prophets. And so King Ahab does what any good king, what any good man would do, complains to his wife. That's what he does. He complains to Jezebel. Said, oh, I can't believe this. It's Elijah guy. So Jezebel... She puts a target on Elijah's back, offers a reward for him to be killed. Elijah gets wind of that. Elijah takes off running. For 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah runs, ends up in Mount Horeb, and then he goes into a cave, and then this happens. There, Elijah went into a cave. This is 1 Kings 19. And he spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? God comes to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, 40 days prior to this, Elijah and God were on the same page. Elijah had cried out to God. God showed himself in a mighty way. And Elijah had to be feeling pretty good. He, got, he, he was going, oh, I feel good. Nah, 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 nah. You know, he was, he was singing. He had, he had won the victory. He had won the contest. God was with him. But then he found out Dog the Bounty Hunter was on his trail, so he took off. And here God shows up. And Elijah better be glad God showed up and not Kyle. Because Kyle would have said, Elijah, man, I just with you at Mount Carmel. What you doing here? You left me. I was at Mount Carmel. I rained down fire. I answered your prayer. I showed myself strong. What you doing? You're on your own now, my man. You're the one that left me. That's what Kyle would have done. But not, not God. God comes to Elijah, reaches out to Elijah. What are you doing here? And then he proceeds to remind Elijah, I am with you. Yeah, I'm with you in those big moments but I'm also with you in every moment. 
When, when you may be looking for something loud, maybe you're looking for something boisterous, don't look there. Listen to that still small voice. That will remind you, I am with you. But we, are, we don't have a God that just reaches out. We have a God who sins. We have a God who sins. Now, now truthfully, the entire Old Testament is, is story after story after story of God reaching out, God reaching out, God reaching out to his people over and over again. Gives them chance after chance after chance to come back to him. And it's a really a roller coaster ride. At times they follow God, other times they leave God, and it's literally up and down just like this, all the way through the history of the Old Testament. And then God says, you know what? Reaching out is not working all the time. It works sporadically. I need something that will work 100% of the time. So he sends. God sins. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son. Luke reiterates this, for the son of man came. In other words, the son of man that God sent was there to seek and save the lost. God is a sending God. And when he sent his son, Jesus understood what all this meant. Jesus understood the nature of God, and Jesus mirrored what God had done. When Jesus finished his early mission, earthly mission, he had gathered his, his followers together. Prior to him ascending to heaven, he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The very nature of following Jesus means that we are sent people. We follow Jesus, and it means we are sent people. God sends us. Jesus sends us. And, and, and let me try to make it real simple, because these two ideas are not mutually exclusive. In fact, it's this. God reaches out to sin, and God sends to reach out. God reaches out to sin, and God sends to reach out. It's clear in this exchange in John, in John chapter 4. By the way, I was, uh, I was at, a, at a funeral service recently where John 14 was supposed to be read at the funeral. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. But the person reading the bulletin thought it said John 4, so he read this passage. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this exchange is really bizarre, first of all, because it is Samaria. It's a woman. So two things there. So Jesus encounters a woman in Samaria. First of all, Jesus had to go out of his way to go there because in Jewish world at this time, the Jewish person 
person would literally go out of their way not to go into Samaria. Even though Samaria uh, was in between a place that they had to go, they had to go from point A to B, and Samaria was in the middle of that direct line, they would literally walk around Samaria because of their hatred. So what, what the deal was is that the Jews married each other. You were a Jew, you married a Jew, who married a Jew, who married a Jew. You kept that, you kept that, that going. Samaritans were Jewish people who married outside their Jewish faith and tradition. And so they didn't, they didn't care for each other really much at all. They didn't care, didn't care much for each other at all. Years ago, there was a salesman who traveled a lot, and, and he told me that uh, when he was traveling on the west central side of Alabama, that he, uh, he was purposeful in making sure he never went through the town of Tuscaloosa. Yes, he was an Auburn fan. Yes, he, yes, he was. But that's what, that's what this, this deal was the same thing. They, they were not, they didn't like each other. So when Jesus went into Samaria, he was already going against established protocol. Then he talked to a woman, that's sort of doubling the, the issue there. She was in the middle of the day, that was a big issue as well. But, but here's the thing, when, when Jesus was talking to this lady, he did not care that the Samaritans were um, marrying other people. That was not the issue with Jesus. Who, who they married didn't bother him. What, what bothered him and what he called this lady to task on was that she had been married five times. And the person that she was married to, well, the person she was living with was not her husband. His issue was not who she was marrying, it's the, the, the fact that she was seeking something in relationship with men that she could only find in God. That was the issue. And then he, she told, when he told her that, she said this, you're a Jew, she said this, um, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So Jesus reached out to this woman. And in doing so, she had an experience. She had a firsthand experience with Jesus. And, and though she, he didn't specifically tell her, hey, I need you to go reach out to your friends, she did it. Because inherent in when Jesus reaches out to us, he sends us, she got it. She got it quickly. As Jesus reached out to her, she went, she was sent to her people. And when she was sent to her people, what did she do? She reached out to her people and told them, what did she tell them? She told them of her experience with Jesus. She just simply told about her encounter with Jesus. Let me go back to John, John 20. Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus understands that to, to, to reach out, to, to reach out 
means as he reaches out, then he's going to send. And that's what he did with his disciples. They, he reached out to his disciples, and then he sent his disciples. That's what he did. He reached out, follow me. Reached out, come join me. He reached out, they joined him for three years. Then he said, now it's time to be gone. Now I'm sending you. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Understand, when he's sending them out, he did not send them out empty-handed. He did not send them out uh, with like, okay, good luck. You know, he sent them out with something. He sent them out with the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't going out on their own devices. They weren't even going out with a manual. They could look back, okay, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do this, this, no. He said, no, you're going to have the power of the Spirit. As I send you out, you're going to have the power of the Spirit. And then he tells them, forgive people's sins. Now, we know the nature that we all have all lived with. We know it, it goes against our nature to automatically forgive somebody. We just can't do that. We, we eventually get there most of the time, but the odds are right now, any given person in this room, there's probably something in, in your mind right now, there's someone flashes in your mind right now that you have not forgiven. That's just our nature. And Jesus says, I'm sending you guys out. And on your own, you will not be able to forgive people for what they're going to do to you. You're not going to be able to forgive people for what they say to you. But I'm sending you out with a spirit, the spirit of God inside of you that will help you to do that. That's the nature I'm giving you. You're going to be sent. And you're going to be able to, to give a powerful word of forgiveness, not on your own, but through the power of the Spirit. So, so Jesus is sending them out because the church is a launching pad. The church is a launching pad. And the church is built up by reaching out. The church is built up by reaching out. Jesus sends his disciples. He does tell them, hey, wait, wait in Jerusalem. The Spirit's going to come. The Spirit's going to come. Spirit does come. It comes on the people. It comes on the people because the disciples have already have received the Spirit in their lives, but the Spirit comes down at Pentecost on the people. When they heard this sound, this sound like a rushing wind and fire, all this stuff, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. In other words, disciples, those 11 disciples that Jesus said, I'm sending you guys out. You're going to have the Spirit. You're going out to the world. They have the Spirit. They're speaking. They're talking. Peter is talking. But what happens in this moment is the Spirit enables each person in the crowd to hear what is being said in their own language. So as Peter is speaking, they're hearing. And what is Peter speaking? Peter is speaking what he knows. And what does he know? He, know who, he knows who he has been with and what difference it has made in his life. 
Because he's been with Jesus, and Jesus has made a difference in his life. 3,000 people at this point believed in Jesus. Church was born. So what happened? What happened to this church? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Understand what happened. The church was automatically, the, their, their knee-jerk reaction was to help others. Their knee-jerk reaction was to help someone else. And the church grew. The church was, is built up by reaching out. They reached out. The initial church, the first thing they did was think of others. They were sent, and they reached out. There, there are two things I want to challenge you with today. Two things, just like the early church, and we're going, we're going to look at those. They're really kick. There's two ways, and I'm going to challenge you to reach out. I believe you need to do both. But if you do one, that's a great start. But you work to doing both. So what, what's the first way to reach out? The same way that this early church did. They reached out to those in need. I'm, I'm going to take you back. Uh, we have... We have a bunch of these pamphlets out there in a basket as you exit today. They'll also be on our website. It's, uh, it's, about, it's about our missions, missions here at the church. We have a dedicated missions uh, account that I'm, I'm going to share briefly with you about. Missions giving is totally separate. When, when you give, when you designate something as missions, it is literally a different account. Okay. Because you came in, you're watching online, and, and a lot of you uh, have automatic giving. You have all this, all this transfer stuff, which is great. Love all that. But if you happen to put some, put some uh, money in, in the bucket, you write a check or something like that, and, and you don't do anything but put covenant on there, right? Or you put cash in there. That goes to our regular budget. What's our budget cover? Our budget covers uh, the lights. Our budget covers the uh, the electricity, the uh, air conditioning, and uh, two days a year we need heat, right? So, covers all that. Covers the debt repayment uh, on, on this property. I think we're up to about a 1.2 million in the next couple of weeks. It'll be about that. So, we have substantial debt that we love to pay down, truthfully, right? You, your, your funds go to make sure um, you have just different stuff. Handouts, things, all the technology, and, and also goes to pay the staff that are employed at this church. The money that you give there really does, it, 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 it doesn't do any, it doesn't go to those who are unfortunate, unless you consider working the church unfortunate, then, then, you, then you have that, right? So 10, 12 years, about 12 years ago, I think, 12, 13 years ago, we set up a special thing called Missions Fund. Of missions, whatever. And in this, we we made the proclamation this way. We believe the the first gifts ought to go to the church. The ten percent. That's the first gifts need to go to the church. So we we encourage people to give their first ten percent there. And at the time we build this is called faith promise. That you that in faith you promise if anything extra came in but what you uh, besides what you've already pledged to the church or what you already have in your mind that you're going to give the church, if you get any extra income, then you're going to put that in the missions account. 
Let me give you an example. This happened this week. Uh, we have a couple, couple in our church that regularly give. They're regular givers, boom, boom, boom. You, you know, automatic withdrawals and all that stuff. Based on their income, they give, right? Well, the, the, something happened in the last year or so that they came into a, a little extra money. That money uh, was unexpected. That was unexpected. And so they made a gift to the missions fund this past week. That's what I'm talking about. That's, that's the example of what I'm talking about. And so that's specific. Everything that's given to that account, 100% goes to particular missions, and those are outlined in, that, in this pamphlet, or you'll find it online. Uh, if you go to the Cove Missions, we have a Cove Missions uh, Facebook page as well. So you can find all the details. So 100% goes there. There's no red tape. There's, there's no cut off the top or anything like that. It's going specifically designated for that. It goes to that. All right? Which, which means when you give to that, you're giving for someone else to share Jesus Christ. So, so when you give to that missions fund, you're, you're making sure that Rhett Thompson is sharing Jesus Christ with those in Panama. When you give to that missions fund, you're, you're making sure that the baby center uh, is, is loving orphans in the name of Jesus to those in Kenya. When you give to that missions fund, you're making sure that places like uh, the harbor, uh, Love in Action, the Ark, Wiregrass Hope Group, Living Waters are reaching people for Christ that you would never, ever come across. And you're in the same community. But you're making sure that those people are hearing about Christ. You give, and you give to the missions fund... You went to Belize this past week. You made a way for the, our team to share Christ and share the love and grace and mercy of Christ with those in Belize. When you give to the missions fund, no, you can't go to Durham, North Carolina to share the love of Christ in downtown Durham, but you made a way for a new church start. So you can't go, but by your giving, you are going. You're making sure that will happen. You're making sure someone can. No, you can't share Jesus with somebody in Panama or Kenya or even in downtown Dothan, but you can make sure someone can. So that's one way that you can share Christ. The second way is what happened with the early church. Listen to this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the churches in Jerusalem. This is followed up when Stephen was killed. Saul was there as, he, as Stephen was stoned. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the, except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. How was the early church built? How was the early church built? The early church was built by people reaching out. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Who left? Everybody else. All the other ones. So you had 3,000 people that believed. Odds are all 3,000 who were visiting Jerusalem at the time left and were scattered around. How was the church built up? By reaching out. Who reached out? Those who had an encounter with Jesus. What did they share? They shared their encounter with Jesus. That's what they did. How was the church built up? The church was built up by reaching out. How would they reach out? They reached out by telling others about 
Jesus. So I want you to remember this. Okay? These are eight things I just want you to quickly hit on. I'm going to go into a little more detail in the letter this Saturday about these, to follow up with these, give a little more detail. Let's remember this. When we're talking about sharing Jesus with others, it's really about that, our faith in Jesus. We've got to be clear on that. We're talking about our faith in Jesus. Not our faith, but our faith in Jesus. Jesus has to be the object. He has to be the one that we have faith in. Because if we don't have faith, if we have faith in anything else, it's going to fade away. If we have faith in anyone else, it's going to come up short. We have faith in Jesus who is resurrected. Because we, lit, we, we serve a King of kings, Lord of lords, who is not dead, who is alive. So it's clear we share our faith, so another person will have that same faith in Jesus. So that's, our, that's clear. The, set, the next thing to remember is we have to pray. Yeah, I know you pray, but I want you, I want to tell you to be specific in praying first for somebody. A name that flashes into your mind right now. That does, somebody that does not know Jesus. You pray for them by name. What are you praying for? You're praying for uh, an opportunity to share life with them. You're praying for an opening. You're praying for, for you to be able to establish a relationship with them. That's the next thing. You simply establish a relationship with them. You become friends with them. You deepen your friendship with them if it's somebody that you're already your acquaintances with, right? And then as you're, as you're sharing life together, and whatever that is, whether that's coffee or whether it's a break at work or whether it's golf or tennis or pickleball, right? You listen for openings. You listen for opening. So we're, we're so grained in the church about talking and talking and talking. We were ingrained with evangelism and explosion of the Roman road or the four spiritual laws where all we're doing is spouting off, hey, if you do A, B, C, and one, two, three, you will go to heaven for eternity. Right? But no, we're, we're talking, we got to listen first. We listen for openings. We listen for, for hurt. We listen for doubt. We listen. And then understand that in the midst of establishing a relationship and listening for openings that nothing is wasted. God's not going to waste our time. When we put, put time in, when we're very intentional, we've prayed for that person and we're working on that relationship, nothing is wasted. Ten years. Ten years before a man in my life was putting himself in a position to be used by God. Ten years. Nothing is wasted. And in our conversations, we make invitational statements. We don't question. We don't do questions. Lord, Lord, we don't do questions. Questions make people defensive, but we can make invitational statements. That's, that sounds like a pretty rough deal. Sounds like you've got... There's some... Sounds like you have some doubt about God. You seem to be questioning your faith. And be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Lord knows we don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. And let people know. Jesus didn't, isn't a part of my life because I'm perfect. Jesus is a part of my life because I am broken. 
Jesus is in my life because I've made mistakes. And because I still make mistakes, because I still disappoint him with what I think, with what I do, with where, where I've ignored him. Be vulnerable. And then tell your story. You, you don't tell Paul's story. You don't tell Billy Graham's story. You know, I could, I could tell you Hayes' story. I heard that so many times. I could tell you his story. But tell your story. The church is built up by reaching out. When we reach out, when we reach out, we share Jesus. And when we share Jesus, the church is built up. God, God, may, may our lives simply share what you are doing. God, we all don't have the rags to riches story. We all don't have the drugs to disciples story. But all of us, all of us in this room have witnessed what you can and have done in our lives. Whether it be small or whether it be big. And may what we witnessed be shared with others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we worship him today?